Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Midnight Cowboy, directed by John Schlesinger, The Truman Show by Peter Weir, The 40-Year-Old Version by Judd Apatow, we have newly released My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 by Nia Vardalos, and finally The Nun 2, directed by Michael Chase. It's going to be an awesome show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? <laughs> Tom, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay on my end. I, I, how was this week of movies for you? Uh, great, honestly. Uh, we were back to a little bit all over the place, but super enjoyable. Uh, starting the Judd Apatow study, uh, the writing study, which is great. Uh, super excited for that. And yeah, it was just yeah. it was awesome to watch some movies to buttress two clearly not great movies. Yeah, that's what's funny about the episode is we've got three heavy hitters up front. Yeah, I yeah. really love this episode, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Even just like I was doing the newsletter and I was just, I was like, this is a good week. Yeah. This is yeah. a good week. It was a good, like, I watched uh, The Truman Show and The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Oh, wow. Okay. Kind of surprising. I didn't watch Midnight Cowboy. Um, but I went for, I mean, Truman Show is so big and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. So I went for that. And then, yeah, we have these two... Yeah, the new releases are a little lackluster. <laughs> yeah, like I said last week, folks, uh, when it comes down to my opinion on some of these uh, franchise deep dives, I think I'm going to do it what I'm going to be calling when, whenever cinematically necessary. And I don't yeah. think it was cinematically necessary <laughs> to watch the homework of either of those franchises. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's too upset about that. Now, you, did you watch The Nun, though, the first one, when it came out? Uh, I was uh, originally kind of interested in The Nun. Uh, never actually saw it, though. Um, the Nun 1 was something that a visual designer that I follow from like the video game space worked on uh, for some of the for some of the concepts. So it was on my radar, but it's, it's part of that conjuring cinematic universe uh, where right, Annabelle right. comes from, where Curse La, La Llorona comes from. Um, and it's just like, man, I, I think even even with a little bit of buy-in to the stylings of the Nun One, I never really got around to it. Okay, so. okay, all right, yeah. So I don't know. we'll see. We'll see how they fare. <laughs> but like I said, we've got three heavy hitters, and yeah, I love it. I think this is a great episode ninety-nine app. Let's start. Let's jump right back and get into it right sure, away. Sure. Let's jump back to nineteen sixty-nine. It's a very big movie. This is Midnight Cowboy, mm. directed by John Schlesinger. <laughs> And it's got <laughs> a braver man than I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's going about that? It's got a young John Voight. It's got Al Pacino. No, no, uh, not Dustin Al Pacino. Hoffman. Thank you. Yeah, right. Al Pacino's a uh, smaller <laughs> doppelganger. Right. <laughs> I guess they're probably both the same height. And I think. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, people know the name of this movie, I think. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Like, I have never sure. seen it before, yeah. which kind of surprised ditto. me. Absolutely. And it's a big name. I think it was well-regarded and highly critically regarded. Mm-hmm. 
And shockingly, it's, it's, it was rated X. Oh, wow. Which really surprised me. I didn't catch in that. In 1969. It definitely makes sense. Um, okay. Uh, this is a no... No, no hold uh, bar. Yeah, no hold bar. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, bold, uh, I would say. Okay. Uh, these, are, these are some of the, the words that come to mind if I had to really just elevator pitch for uh, Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, so let's get into it a little bit. What's the setup of the film? It's an hour and 53, and uh, how does it treat us? Sure, sure. Well, uh, I was treated to a lot of short films this week, and I was really That's grateful for, for us. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was a little bit of a scramble this week. But Tom, flashback to our review for The Wild Bunch. Great movie, yep, of course. Yep. And I found myself picking and poking around the 42nd Academy Awards of 1970. Of course, while the snub of Wild Bunch was my critique, I, right, I, I yeah. lingered on that Oscars for a bit. Uh, that's an interesting That's an interesting Oscars show. Uh, little did I know that uh, one of the last performances from Fred Astaire was uh, in that show, a video I've always loved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he kind of uh, does like some funk dancing, which is <laughs> maybe not the best, but it is you know one of his last on-screen performances. Uh, in addition, we also get the thunderous ovation for John Wayne's sole Oscar win. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, a wonderful speech given as well. That is... Uh, he is a pro. <laughs> yeah. The dude's a pro. He really... It, it's almost... At first when I was watching it, I was like, this is a little too polished. But no, he, he's just so smooth with it. Like, <laughs> it was great. Um, I, a lot of people think that he shouldn't have really won for that. Mm. And he probably should have won for maybe some others in the past. Yeah. But this was around the time he was getting sick, and yeah. I, we, every, the, the theory is is the Academy kind of thought, like, oh, no, what if John Wayne dies mm. and he doesn't have an Oscar win? <laughs> right, a, a, a true legend. So yeah. he says in that speech, what, if I would have known this, I would have put the patch on 30 <laughs> years ago? I would have put the eye patch on a long time ago, yeah, it's um, great. So, yeah, uh, folks who also got that newsletter, we put this in, it's in down at Hollywood Clickbait. Yeah, yeah. And it's just going to the full page of the Oscars, the videos are there, Fred Astaire is there, John Wayne's speech, and John Voight as well. Yes, Who accepted yes. for the director. Yep, absolutely, and, uh, you know, I, I was really down a total rabbit hole with this. I think uh, 1969 was an incredibly stacked year with so many classic titles that I personally have never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one film clenched both best, best Picture and Best Director. So I needed to see what was the cream of the crop in such a stacked year. Uh, Midnight Cowboy is a criminal drama that holds no punches in showing the grime of society in the late 60s, specifically. Specifically in Manhattan, and I mean it's a grimy, grimy Manhattan <laughs> that is shown. Joe Buck, played by a very young John Voight, uh, again uh, like Glenn Close, one of those actors that I only know old John Voight. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you don't know young John Voight? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and this is obviously like his most iconic role. Ah, uh, uh, I would almost mm, really. Yeah, I mean because you have to add in. Oh my God, uh, Deliverance. I would say. Oh, uh, true, very yeah. true. And that's in the seventies. Yes, so. very true. Joe Buck is a country bumpkin looking to swim in much bigger waters than he was ever made for. He travels to New York City to get paid, hooking up with as many girls as possible, and is fed to a city of grifters much sharper than him. Uh, He teams up with Ratso, uh, played by Dustin Hoffman. I mean, really, I mean... Uh, what do you guys say about Dustin Hoffman here? I mean, he really transforms in this role to like a scum of the earth, human rat <laughs> of a man. Yeah, yeah, into <laughs> the rat. Ratso kind of swindles his way into being his manager slash pimp 
uh, for the duration of the film. Though this is kind of, though, like that, that summary maybe makes you think this is a fun, raunchy kind of hookup comedy. Uh, it is, it is not. <laughs> it is a very, very, um, I don't want to say dark. It's a gut shot film. It's really like, wow, it's not holding anything back. The film portrays Joe Buck as deeply traumatized by his upbringing. Um, I, I honestly think, folks, one of the most interesting things this story does is create an immediate unease around why Joe Buck would suddenly want to pick up everything and become a gigolo. Mm -hmm. uh, psychologically, what's going on there? Sexually, what is going on there? Uh, and it's all rooted in this trauma that is kind of drip-fed to us. It's never really told 100%. This is not like a fun time, though Joe Buck may be this like naive, happy-go-lucky, literal cowboy right. coming to New York City. There's, there's something deeper there, and that's from the very get-go. He has these dream sequences, these nightmares sometimes okay. that show a different story and a different motivation for why he's kind of whoring around. I feel like that's more up your alley, I could almost imagine, where you put this in a different setting or different director's hands, and it's just like, fish out of water jokes. Yeah, yeah, basically. Was PG. <laughs> we have a PG movie now, right, and right. it's just funny because we have, a, you know, just classic New York City slicker <laughs> yep. and a guy trying to be a cowboy in the city. Yep, but exactly. if, if we're trying to get the... I mean, you're a New York boy. That obviously went around back then. But right. I, if we're in... <laughs> if I was, I don't know. If they just threw us in it and if like, no, 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 we're going into the dark alleys of New York around yeah. this time and everything like that. I, I think play up to that. And I think that's where this X rating that you mentioned makes perfect sense uh, because... Uh, it, it holds some punches when it comes to drugs, believe it or not. There's like one party scene. That's about it, which okay. I feel was not a critique I had for the film, but I felt like it could have even gone further in addition to the very, very um, intense sexual tones mm -hmm. to the film. This kind of dark outlook on the city and human nature. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere in the film. Hmm. Uh, there is fun to be had, uh, but it's not the priority of the film whatsoever. Right, so, right, okay. And while the story, I think, loses some steam in its focus towards the end, it's largely centered on broken characters finding companionship in a cold, cold world. That's the point of Midnight Cowboy. Hmm. I think Dustin Hoffman's character hurts the story a bit for me, uh, just personally. A little over halfway in, the plot throws us some curveballs to make Ratso equally, if not more, empathetic than Joe Buck. And the problem I found with myself uh, is that I was so invested in the trauma of Voight's character, I naturally wanted the story arc to be exclusively around him, and it was just a bit disappointing that some stones were left unturned. Mm. I feel like in 69, you could see these stones being unturned as cinematic brilliance, honestly, in that the story is something that you have to kind of piece together among many pieces. It, it just really, I, I don't know, I, I, I feel like this movie would have been so much stronger if Ratso was just supporting. Uh, it really is a shared story, though. We can see this in Hoffman having actually top billing above Voight. Uh, and flash floor to the to the Oscars of the year, right? And right. both are nominated for lead actor, being beaten out by which is uh, John Wayne. John Wayne, yeah. Which is wild that they both got <laughs> yeah. lead acting noms. Like that doesn't really happen anymore. Right, right. And I think that's where that that 
shows a little bit of the priorities of the story that they really are both leads, even though I felt the Voight side was much stronger and I wanted to kind of see that more. It felt like he really should have been the actual lead. Yeah, yeah. Especially uh, Ratso's character kind of suffers from a mystery mental illness that is not AIDS. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, you'd think it would be like AIDS or something like that, but it's 69. It's 69, right. So... Uh, it's like he's smoking too many cigarettes, maybe, and it's just like, all right, and then he just he just becomes like a, a drag for for Voight's character. It's just like, all right, I don't know. Okay, all right, but it really is both of their shows, and uh, I'll, I'll be honest, and I'll say both uh, bo- the bulk of the film didn't have me super gripped, but I was won over occasionally by some strong filmmaking. Um, dream sequences in this film are very impressive. Stylistically, they vary from light kind of wish fulfillment scenes to straight-up seizure-inducing nightmares. <laughs> so uh, they're a little all over, all over the place and a little surreal. What got me, though, is that when these dream sequences would come along, they're so well-integrated. Mm. Um, perfect examples, Voight early on will just be looking at the richer parts of Manhattan, older ladies walking with dogs, and he's imagining going into their apartments and hooking up with them or, or, or getting them to agree to you know hire him in some way. And the way it's edited and kind of clipped uh, into just his normal perusing mm-hmm. the city streets, it, it really, really interesting. I, I found it to be a, uh, a fascinating way to kind of incorporate you, fantasies or daydreaming or something like that. If you were impressed with it, that's it's the fact that it's 1969, yeah, and it's doing that is pretty. It's that's pretty cool, yeah, uh, pretty impressive. One thing that was notable as far as in the industry goes. One thing too, the Wild Bunch was a whole different type of editing, kind of. Yes, and I. I don't think it held up all that great, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like, I understand that you got to start somewhere and sure. you work upon things. Yeah. But I didn't love it. And what sounds like this was, like, high, high quality. Yeah, yeah. And uh, th- that's where, uh, and I'll say this, uh, you know, in, in just a little bit again, I, I don't think I have any gripes with this winning uh, Best Picture and Best Director. Um mm-hmm. Uh, while I, I think I prefer Wild Bunch in a lot of ways and, and just how much it got snubbed in categories, um, at the same time, this film is extremely bold and extremely uh, ambitious in what it goes for. Honestly, uh, the cinematography here is is striking, folks. Uh, and for me, it felt ambitious to have these sequences and... If anything, I wanted to see more of them, especially the ones that gave backstory to Buck. But maybe in not showing that, that's a little bit of the film's brilliance mm, as well. Interesting, yeah. Uh, keeping me wanting more and, and, and more of the interest uh, into into his backstory. So, But preference aside, folks, this is a bold film for 1969 and a little shocking for today. I stand by my opinions for the Wild Bunch review, but this film gets no hate from me for winning. Uh, folks, if you enjoyed something like... 2013's Dallas Buyers Club, or possibly even mm. want to see this quote-unquote gutshot depiction of the late 60s, give it a watch. We're going to go ahead and give Midnight Cowboy 1969 a 74. Oh, okay, 74. I thought maybe it was going to reach a little bit higher than that, the way you were talking about it. What is it lacking, would you say? Just not enough uh, main support character, not enough John Voight? Uh, yeah. And... 
I think as well, it's dedication to showing the different walks of life and the different weirdos in Manhattan <laughs> during '69. Okay, it's it's jarring and it's a little bit all over the place. Okay, uh, obviously that's kind of the shock that we need for Voight's character uh, to get thrown into the deep end. Uh, you know, that's what he wants. He wants to go to the big city, but I think for me, it was just like it disconnects you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, '74 still a good score. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, and the big question is. Does John Wayne deserve the Oscar over those two? Very tough. Very tough. As much as Ratso was annoying as an as a character, boy, Hoffman's acting. You think he's li- be- he's acting his little booty off. <laughs> better, better than Voight, even. Uh yeah, I think so. Voight's good. Uh, th- why I like the character and why I like the movie is mm-hmm. all in the storytelling, not necessarily performance. Okay. So, <laughs> and then is there any reason, just some backstory of that 1970s Oscar? Why was John Schlesinger not there oh, to that, receive best director? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. Actually, because John so. Voight then accepted the speech for him. Yeah. Accepted the Oscar for him. I- and looking into um, his filmography, not a director that I was like, oh, let me let me check out other things. He did Marathon Man. Right, in he goes the 70s. on to do Marathon Man. Yeah, uh, but then definitely peters out quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Seventy four for Midnight Cowboy. Very good, Vin. Let's keep it going. We're taking a big jump to nineteen ninety eight. I love. We got two comedies here. Yeah. And we're starting the Jump Abito later, but let's go ahead and do The Truman Show, directed by Peter Weir. I think technically three comedies with Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, what am I? Of course, that's right. You might be hard pressed to call it a comedy at all. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe like this film as well. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the Truman Show. It's still referenced today. People know it. People constantly say, "Oh, I feel like I'm living on a Truman Show" or something like that. It's so. I'm surprised that it was 98 and it's still kind of relatively culturally relevant. Oh, absolutely. Or it can easily have a rebirth. It always feels like it fits in today's society mm-hmm. almost, mm-hmm. which is the craziness that kind of goes on around us. And it's right before we actually have this onslaught of comedies that fit together, these Judd Apatow oh, comedies. Oh, sure, in the 2000s. Where the buddy, you know, they're all together with the Seth Rogans. Or- it's the it's the open improv style that, uh, right, uh, yeah, right. that uh, they're, 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 they're stitched together kind of comedies. So, and it's another reason why this, why the Truman Show kind of just really feels like it's on its own little island and mm. literally in its own little world yep, yep. Um, like I said I, I watched it I'm excited to go have a little dialogue with you about it but let's get into it how did you like The Truman Show well uh, I gotta say uh, I love this movie uh, <laughs> I, I, I really have always loved this movie I'll talk about in a little bit how we kind of came to adding this into the week. Um, this is one of the seminal works from science fiction writer Andrew Nichol, coming one year after 1997's Gattaca, a diamond in the rough sci-fi for sure. Oh, Gattaca right. is uh, yeah. pretty, pretty solid uh, if you want to give it a watch. And while I think our director, Peter Weir, certainly has some chops for this project, uh, this movie is all in the concept. It is just lightning in the bottle as far as the concept yeah. goes. Uh, certainly, uh, the execution of that concept and performances is what I think makes this film so good, but I feel the lightning in the bottle aspect is centered on the story itself and how kind of timeless and prophetic the science fiction is to it. So, especially coming out in 1998, which is important to keep in mind, folks, uh, for anything that we talk about as far as reality TV, surveillance, and the more... 
you know, uh, science know. fiction parts of the story. It's funny, 25 years old, and <clears throat> sure, even, you know, some of the dated tech on the screens or something <laughs> yeah. like that, but it still, it just has a freshness to it. Yeah. That doesn't really go away. It's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, this landed on uh, a watch this week, simply by catching a blind spot, folks. Uh, I said, hey, let's cover a, a classic that is rated, but isn't necessarily on the website, and what do you know, it wasn't even rated on the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the database. Haven't even, I mean, and we're going back years at that point, yeah. where you have not watched this critically before. Yeah. That's how, yeah. That's how long well, it's I, been. That's the thing, is I think I have seen this maybe maybe three years ago, maybe four years ago, but I was just always assumed mm. it was rated. <laughs> so, you know, I guess some of the problem that comes with, we you should, know, 500 it, plus movies. Yeah, and, I'm going to take a second to just explain that. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Because we definitely have some new listeners since oh, last yeah. we talked about it. That's a good point. So, I also... We have the couch days. So years and years ago, Vin was always the guy people would go to for film, talking about movies, things like that. Talk my ear off. We'd always have fun about bitching about Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. So one day we just kind of sat down. I just listed off like 50 movies and we started an Excel sheet basically. Yep. And then every month, every other month, every three months, I would sit down with Vin and he would actually write down just – his scores. Yep. And then he would verbally talk about him. It was literally the podcast without microphones. <laughs> it really was. And for years, we had piled up, I think, close to 600 films doing mm-hmm. that. 600 films doing that. Yep. We now have an additional, basically, 500 yep. that we have audio to. And I'm just trying to backfill, just get all that on the site, because it should be over a 1,000 movies now on the site. Yep. It's not quite that much now, because <laughs> they're just waiting for me to put them on. And every week, we lose ground on the project right. because of five additional films. So basically, folks, if you ever hear us <laughs> reference the master list or if we talk about the couch days or something yep. like that we're going back to that where there is a lot la- there is a, a list out there that has a lot of movies that we don't have audio to yep. but that vin had actually taken the time to figure out a score mm-hmm. and that's why we kind of always say that fair on it's consistent because he's done movies we didn't realize were on the master list we go mm. back and look and it's the same exact score yeah we're like one true. away from it very true so almost um, almost eerily <laughs> in, i know in a lot of instances i love it i'd love it so uh. that's, that's all props to you but yeah. anyway that's if we're referencing that that's what it goes back yeah. to yeah but shockingly not on there but i you know it was a great pleasure watching this movie again because i think it's easily my favorite jim carrey performance and it's just one of those sci-fi stories that strikes mm. so true to its message that it really only rings out loud in modern day. Um, The Truman Show is yet another movie in recent episodes that honestly I think is a bit beyond genre. My best stab at it is kind of like a comedic psychological thriller or maybe comedic (laughs) psychological drama. It's like... Okay, sure. Or a comedic gaslighting film. (laughs) I I think all those those and above. Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, definitely beyond a genre which is a mark honestly of a great film. I like originality. This kind concept is so electric, uh, coming out in 1998. Uh, The story introduces us to Truman Burbank, uh, the embodiment of a suburban domestic man who begins to have suspicions that his reality around him is not real life. Couldn't be more correct, as in the very first moments of the film, we see that Truman is the subject of a bold reality TV show that studies his entire life for TV. Uh, you know, I want to be extra careful in how I tread around spoilers here because mm, the first yeah. time watching experience, I think, is incredible for this film. It's uh, fun. Yeah. Like, I haven't watched this in forever, mm-hmm. so it was nice coming back to it a little bit and picking up on things. It, right. was, it, it was definitely good seeing it as more of a critical eye. Sure. 
Yeah, it is something that's nice for the person to experience. Exactly. You know, I mean, I think the the premise of Truman's life being on TV is peeled back so masterfully and is so well executed in showing the audience the true reality of what's going on. Sometimes the borderline horrific reality of, of what's <laughs> going on. Uh, you know, we as watchers of the movie are taken on the same emotional ride from wonderment to disgust. And in many ways, the film becomes meta because we are just another viewer of The Truman Show mm -hmm. and what would be happening in these episodes that the uh, the reality TV would be watching, basically. Truman really is the entire production of the show. And I can't, once again, just like the genre, I can't really think of a film that embodies that so perfectly. The concept is just taken to such an extreme. Yeah. Truman against everybody, yeah. which is a phenomenal concept. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just and, and again, how that is unpeeled, how that is realized, whether you're a first time watcher or you're a repeat watcher of this film is just I, I feel like the pacing there is just immaculate. Uh, this is also what an hour 47. Yeah, it's what is it an hour? Yeah, it's an hour and 43. Yeah. And that's one major point I had to make about it mm. was the pacing. Mm. To the point where I was thinking about, like, what would I cut? And it's just, I don't think you could. I think the movie could be 10, 15 minutes longer even, potentially. Sure, especially when you get to that third act. It's like, you think it's going to get a little bit longer. And or, then... Well, and I was even thinking, make the first act even longer. Mm. Because they start shelling out things to you relatively quick. Pretty quick. Or they, I should say they start shelling things out to Truman relatively yeah, yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, so they even could have made that a little bit longer. But yeah. man, it, the movie moves. Yeah. It, it absolutely does. And I knew that's something you would appreciate about it. It's just a good example of all killer, no filler. And and, and something that we absolutely. talk about that, you know, when, when, when we, either of us comment on, oh, we can cut this, we can trim a couple minutes yeah. there. That's not just to needlessly poke at a, at a film or pigeonhole, you know, uh, an accomplishment. No. It, it really is what is the the most important moments of this story. It's an absolute uh, feeling. Yeah. You know when you walk away from a film and you go, you know, that could have been a little bit shorter. It just <laughs> happens that we've been watching a lot of films and it turns yeah. out a lot of films might be able to be a little <laughs> yeah. bit shorter. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly that's like accentuated by like uh, the bulk of how many movies we're watching. Right. But, yeah. Uh, right. Exactly. What I'm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, man, but with it, this, yeah. it goes. And then when it's over, it's like, it, it, it did it. I walked away being like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. That's so great. Uh, I would say the reason why I would call this sci-fi, which, which why don't I say this? Do you disagree with calling it a sci-fi? I, I do disagree with it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, you, would you? I would say comedic psychological thriller. I think it's much more there than sci-fi. Sure. Okay. I don't think okay. there's because then you I would just say fiction, not science fiction in any way. Mm, true, true. I guess science fiction is is maybe pushing I mean, it a little I bit. I think when I was doing some stuff on it, um even fantasy, mm. I could even go with Sure. I think fantasy would work as well. well better true. better than sci-fi. Not but fantasy, let's get into swords and you know, swords of magic, but just, you know, a fantasy exactly. you know, of, exactly. of modern society. Right. Just like you have princess fantasies or something like mm -hmm. that. Here is just a a, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> why, I, I'm interested to hear why you were kind of had this in your head as sci-fi. Well, if you look at Nicole, uh, Nicole's other work, uh, Andrew Nichols, his, his other work is exclusively science fiction. I, I feel like this, this fits in the same way because there is a dystopian quality to the world that would welcome this concept in open arms. You know, Truman might be chipper and corny as the peak of 50s Americana, but the advertising, the business, and the surveillance of the Truman Show tells a different story. It, it tells a dystopian world where viewers of the Truman Show 
are mindlessly consuming what they're seeing on screen. Right. Not only that, what what is allowed in this production and the scale of this production is is a little dystopian. I mean, this movie came out in 1998 before the wave of reality TV with the 2000s, and I just feel like it hits the nail on the head. You know, every aspect around the cultural impact of the Truman Show has shades of truth in it, and topics such as privacy or fanaticism, I thought was an interesting kind of through line hmm. of the show or of the film uh, are explored without slowing the film down i think so easily you could get in the weeds of you know what happens legally what happens you know <laughs> <laughs> what what is happening outside of truman's world uh and you know straight up I, I i just feel like this is like the first black mirror episode this is black mirror before black oh my god mirror. well it is that's that's for sure actually <laughs> yeah that is for sure. <laughs> and, and that's where I think I come from with the science fiction element yeah. of it. Because it's, it's, I wouldn't call it a Twilight Zone, certainly in that Black Mirror is just Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, it's, I would describe it as a first Black Mirror episode because technology is so key to how is the story working. Yes. You know what I mean? To me, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily, that's the criteria of science fiction, though, for me. Sure. Really, I think that's dystopian kind of, that's dystopian fiction Yeah, is how I look at sure. it. Sure, so. okay. I like that, though. Mm -hmm. uh, watching this film, I would say the brilliance of this is you encounter these problems and these themes and these uh, plot threads naturally. Uh, it's not put in your face. It's about Truman, and it's about a, kind of a very simple hero's journey for Truman, but all of this is kind of packed into the background, much like when we did the Verhoeven study, mm. much like when we talked about Brazil, that things are just in the background. Right, right. Uh, and, and give storytelling elements and give theming, so. Yeah, definitely. It, it awards the keen eye. Awards, it awards the person paying attention a little bit yeah. more and that's always nice yeah, yeah but absolutely. you're right to the nothing spoon fed it's just all there for you yeah. it is all there for sure yeah for sure i would say without a doubt though why i'm so in love with this film is the cinematography i think is a masterpiece okay uh, since the movie simulates the real live stream of the show camera shots are constantly shown in hidden everyday objects uh, i would say half the fun of the film is seeing what shots will be used now Next, a favorite of mine being uh, two-way mirrors in his radio, <laughs> and uh, I think one was the, the pencil sharpener, yes. and uh, the neighbor has a trash can that he's always carrying. It's like, like so a, obvious, it's like too. On his it's shoulder. A, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where I think um, this film has a rewatchability. This film has a, uh, a reward for those going back to it, and I feel like that as well. Not something that I can explore with every film that we cover, but mm -hmm. at least for this, I can appreciate so much uh, going back and spotting new things with it. And you will spot through. You watch this three times, you're going to pick up on some things oh, as yeah. you go. It's not like it's the most complicated story. Mm -hmm. It is kind of fun and it's just unraveling and everything like mm -hmm. that. But it, there are things there to see and to catch and to keep on watching. It has a rewatchability to it, yeah. which is great. Yeah, It's funny because even watching it, you're halfway through and then you're thinking in this scene, okay, where's the camera going to be? It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, then, or where you think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. As Truman acts more erratically, the shots suffer. Mm, yeah, like we yeah. get <laughs> straight up bad shots in this film, <laughs> but it's it's justified because it's in the universe of Truman acting outside of his parameters, outside right. of his yep. track, if you will. So, and, and that that little nuance there is I. I mean, like I said, it, I, I think this is all in the concept, but that's where I want 
to give credit to to Weir as a director because that's really thinking outside of the box and maybe even suffering his own project. You know, he doesn't want to use bad shots. It's, it's an absolute dedication to the idea. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's it's, it's nice. Yeah, it totally comes through more and more in the film. Yeah, and it's in the concept. I, I think honestly, this is falling into a must watch for me because of how many audience members wow. or how it makes the audience. The, the viewers of this film aware of filming techniques in a production. I think in a, a lot of ways, this could be a contender for a gateway drug for anyone <laughs> looking to appreciate film craft more because of how it makes you aware sure, of, yeah. of these filming yeah. techniques. Uh, and easily, this is just one of the most unique films to come out of the 90s. And the 90s is no stranger to experimental stuff, obviously auteurs, uh, standout directors, uh, and putting out a lot of quality. Even if you disagree with some of the spins and some of my interpretation, I feel like the film weaves a story that has human nature, morbid curiosity, and artistic boundaries as significant threads, but never shoveled down your throat. Mm -hmm. These are things left for the viewer to discover, and as you're watching it, uh, a fun comedy with Jim Carrey acting insane. <laughs> you know, all of this is packaged up and Jim Carrey's finest overacting. And I can't help but absolutely adore this film, folks. It's a big boy alert. We're going to go again and give The Whoa. Truman Show an 87. Wow, an 87. Mm, I think it's a huge movie. I think Again, there's just so much. I, wow. I, I could talk a whole hour about this film. I had to really, really? limit myself really? <laughs> quite a bit. This is this is huge news. Yeah. I mean, I'll say again for people who started listening again, once when you're above an 85% mark, we kind of say you're in the must-watches. These mm -hmm. are any audience, anything you should see before you die and everything like that. 87 is a huge score. And that's where I think it cracks some of that is because, again, there's there's elements here that I think like could create a film buff out this, of this this really film. works for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is the same kind of energy coming off of Ferris Bueller, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's uh, almost nothing to critique. Uh, yeah. Uh, from, from time to performance to, to concept to execution. I mean, it's it's perfect. So right about the 90s as well, where you have so many big things happening. Mm. So many big names coming up. So many big films. So many copycats or things taken from those big films yeah. also in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And this is totally on an island by its own. Yeah. And it, that was really refreshing. I, I can't say it's my favorite Jim Carrey performance. Okay. Like, I don't think it goes to... You gotta give me some... What's... what? It's <laughs> just, just out of morbid curiosity. What's what's the Jim... The Jim radar? <laughs> well, I think... Grinch. Growing up, definitely <laughs> not, not. Definitely not. So, 98, I was too young to see this new. Oh, sure, it was sure. always just in the culture. Yeah. And yep. then even, like... But when I was young, the reruns and the rewatching of Ace Ventura, because mm. that's great when you're a little kid. <laughs> yeah. And the first Jim Carrey I was able to like really see was probably it wasn't even Liar Liar. That was that was Reed Dudes. It was probably oh, sure. Bruce Almighty. Oh. When I got okay. like a true in the movie yeah. theories experience. Yeah. But then I would say, what's the one where he plays? Oh my gosh! And Obi Wan Kenobi is in it. Oh. Uh, not not Eternal whatever the sun sunshine Eternal sunshine spotless mind. But not it's that not. One. I don't think it's that one. Okay, it's the one where he plays the oh, being married. Oh, I to. love you, Phil Morris. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. I think his performance in that is pretty solid. That is because yeah. he plays so many different characters <laughs> because he has to play con man basically yeah. throughout his whole life. And so you get a, just like a classic Jim Carrey, just you know, putting on his his uh, craziness and uh, yes, uh, and, and no, not, not liar liar craziness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, another Jim Carrey movie I love though is Fun with Dick and Jane. I think it's oh, a yeah. phenomenal movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the housing crisis right. film. So a very enjoyable Jim Carrey. I definitely liked it. I have to say, walking away from this, uh, I, I I wasn't 
overly electric about it. Sure. I, I, it's, I'm not jumping to a two shoes even, mm, which okay. kind of surprises me. The movie ended, and mm-hmm. my thoughts were like, that was quick, that was snappy, mm-hmm. and overall, this was, that was a very cute uh, original story, yeah. and I enjoyed watching it. And the originality there is, uh, is, is where my comic comes from about yeah. the 90s, you know? Oh, oh, absolutely. I almost think it could be longer for it to make it feel like a more impactful film for me personally. Mm. I feel like it went by so quick that when the end comes, it is a little bit like, Oh, that was nice. That yeah. was cute. Yeah, yeah. And snappy and quick. Yeah. But I wish, because it's still referenced today, I thought I was going to be walking around the next day being like, damn, that was a phenomenal movie. Mm. And I didn't quite it have didn't that. didn't linger with you. I just No, okay. it didn't. It just had to be like, that was a really nice movie. That mm. was really good. Mm. So I'm not going to give it a two shoes. I'm not quite there on it. But sure. I, I, I can't say I disagree in any way. I, I can't look at this and say it was a bad movie in any way. Mm. Uh, I'm just not overly stoked. You got to start giving some two shoes, though. I, I mean, know, what's but... The, uh, well, you got to... If you're spending the time, well, I my mean, ratio, let's get them on there. Yeah, my ratio movies are going up. So sure. I've been trying to yeah, watch yeah, yeah. more and more. But at the same time, I I need to... If there's one rule I stick to, it's movies I care about, whether it be mm. from love, hate, or surprises. Mm, okay. You know, that's why a lot of the shoes are either high or low, right. because, you know, there's either hate or love for it. Right. <laughs> the middle nuances of uh, of shoes right. or how many shoes <laughs> right. is, uh, is a little difficult. So this, I just think, I'm very happy to have it as your 87, yeah. and I'd love to see that. And I think most people really should at least give it a watch out oh, there. Yeah. It is something that I feel like needs to be under your belt. Uh, right. Uh, and again, just for the just for film filmmaking techniques. And now, know? see, it's easy for me with the shoes because really it's a more of a me thing where it's like, I think people should watch this. Mm-hmm. Boy, is that a, that's, that's, that's like a two-shoe, one lace, two shoes, two laces. <laughs> right. At the same time, to me, this isn't a two-shoe, two lace, I don't sure, think, or anything sure. like that. So, But anyway, that's where I land on it. Very, very positive, just not overwhelmingly excited. Yeah, yeah. But an 87 is phenomenal. I can't wait to put that in the must-watches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a bad year. We and, have some good movies this year that we've been watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for old sure. movies, unfortunately. Old movies, but I listen. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the good. I I think overall, uh, this year is shaping up much stronger than last year, though. Uh, yeah. As far as like I'm actual good movies either. coming out this year. So yeah. Well, last year was so it was still pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like two eighties or something like that. It was rough in the eighties, yeah. actually. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Uh, all right, fans. So let's go ahead. This is finally starting our Judd Apatow. We're gonna have some. We're gonna have some excited people that we got some comedy going uh, right, on. Right. So we're gonna start with Judd Apatow, the forty-year-old virgin. This is two thousand and five. Steve Carell and the Usual Suspects in a film like this. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. Is it Apatow's first or one of? Uh, one of his the, first, because okay. he did Freaks and Geeks uh, in the late 90s, and then he was on uh, the production team for, like, Anchorman and stuff like that, even just a few years Oh, my God, Anchor, Anchorman was 04. Yeah. That's right. So this, oh, my God, this yeah. was a year. This was still one of the early ones, though, at Absolutely. least in my head and how I approach and it. And early for Carell. I mean, this is same year as The Office started, so. I think Office started late, maybe 04. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so okay, this okay. is right after first season of Office, maybe, yeah. somewhere in second season. But yeah, 40-year-old virgin. Let's get into it. Judd Apatow, how was the film? <laughs> well, Folks, it only took me another year to dive into another comedy writing uh, or even be in the mood for comedy. So, <laughs> But I am happy to announce uh, that we are starting this writing study, and it is a writing study specifically. Uh, Apatow is without a doubt one of the strongest talents and the strongest voices in comedy of the 2000s, but it's largely because of how much he lets his cast stand out on their own. I can only speak for this film now, but uh, I, I personally feel 
feel the success of the comedy in his films comes from bench strength in so many solid performances, mm. and it'll something that it will be something that we see in the 2010s of his format, of his editing, and how he stitches together from long riff takes uh, and picks the best and picks the cream of the crop. Something that is honestly uh, ripped off shamelessly in the 2010s by countless comedies um, trying to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to note that like our Zucker Abrams study, I, I don't think these are going to be super long reviews. I think if the comedy works, I want to kind of avoid over-explaining. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think that's uh, high value. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, and, and almost like a spoiler, if a joke is really good, I don't want to spend too much much time on it because you got to have to experience it. You have to that. experience it. Not only that, what you might find a great joke doesn't hit for somebody else sure, and vice versa. What somebody else hits, maybe not for you. Yeah. And that's our big thing with comedy. <laughs> right. You'd hit the nail on the head right. <laughs> of why I not- <laughs> don't like reviewing comedies. But. <laughs> not that, it, not that, I mean, all reviews are subjective to you sure, and to who sure. the reviewer is. But with comedy, there's something specific about it where it's <laughs> like, well, you either like it or you don't like it. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. If anything, I was worried about that with Big Fat Greek Wedding. It was just like, well, I'm not a mom. I'm not a, no reason to get too worried about that. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it was easy enough to call heads or tails on Big Fat Creek Wedding 3. Right. So. But with that said, our outline for the films, for those that want to pay attention at home, uh, the weeks might be broken up here as we go into October. We have this in 2005, Knocked Up in 2007. Uh, we'll be covering then Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story oh, in the right. same year. Uh, Is that Judd Apatow? Yes. Yeah. That's not that's writing. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Also, uh, Judd Apatow did Fun with Dick and Jane, but it's only a screenplay uh, adaptation. Okay. So I wanted to go for the original <laughs> works. Pineapple Express in 2008. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, the stoners can be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and finally, Funny People in 2009. And that's, I, 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 I really enjoy that we can cap off the writing study with that because Funny People is, one, a film that constantly people have told me will turn my opinion on Ab Sandler. A challenge that has been failed time after time, year after year. (laughs) And as well, it's definitely a turn into his later career uh, in the 2010s where he's doing like This is 40 and like more kind of um, kind of the emotional driven comedies uh, that uh, he'll he'll take on. Did he do the other Will Ferrell ones? Like did he do Step Brothers? No, he didn't do Step Brothers. Or Talladega? I always thought he did those movies, but nope. Okay. Man, the there was such a good 15 year stretch of films. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like from 03 or yeah, 03 to 15 maybe is when it really starts to die out. Maybe 18. Yeah. Just a great stretch. Funny people, I need to just Google and look up again. I forgot that this existed. Yeah. And it's uh, funny. You were getting hit up about this one. Oh, oh, uh, more so just like uh, throughout my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Just because I've always very publicly hated Adam Sandler. Right, right. (laughs) But uh, but That's a good list, though. That's a good Apatow list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, Our story centers on a knockoff Best Buy of Radio Shack, Circuit City, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. With a group of co-workers, finding out one of them is a virgin, and rallying behind him getting laid at any cost. Uh, this is a rom-com for sure, but one structured around kind of like dumb guy humor. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I feel like so much is spent with this like four squad of boys <laughs> that uh, it, it's it's really... 
uh, it's mostly guy humor, even though this kind of rom-com structure could be all right, really, for anyone that likes those. Um, Paul Rudd, uh, Romani uh, Malco, and Seth Rogen have huge supporting roles in this and are all excellent, but Steve Carell playing Andy uh, is is honestly, I mean, this is, has to be one of his icon- most iconic roles. I yeah. Mean, I don't know if Foxcatcher, if people even remember that movie. I freaking anymore. loved him, Foxcatcher. I just cut Foxcatcher like three times. <laughs> Uh, and he was nominated for that one. Yeah, Are yeah. you that impressed with Steve Carell in this movie? Uh, not, like, not impressed. I just feel like it's such... And, and it goes back to what I always say. Iconic doesn't necessarily mean greatest of all time. Sure. Okay. Uh, I just feel like it's iconic, especially uh, him going into the office as kind of a like this uh, socially awkward... Right. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's classic Carell. Uh, and and uh, 40-year-old version definitely captures that perfectly. That's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't call it just a guy comedy, though, uh, since a lot of it falls into rom-com stereotypical trappings. I don't think that's necessarily bad. And, and I'll say again later on, I think if in ways, and maybe you can you can chime in on this, do you feel that this is a parody in how raunchy it is? Of those rom-coms in the you know the late '90s, uh, the, the the Tom Hanks so par- style rom-com, um, the, you know, what I mean, the, the it's a new era. It, yeah. It's a new era coming off the '90s. Yeah, post Hitch, if you will. <laughs> yeah, Hitch 2005 as well. Right. Uh, I, I, it's definitely we're not PG-13 anymore. Right. This right. is rated R rom-com yeah. for sure, and it deserves its own spot there. There's a lot that came after this now that also mm. belong in there. So yes, basically. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is. It, it's it's yeah, a parody of those, of, those, of those tropes, kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The plot takes it slow. Uh, we chill a lot in the store. Uh, that gives us kind of a natural platform to improv with. We're really just living a day in the life of the 40-year-old virgin, uh, which, uh, you know, folks, it might seem too early to call it, but I think Apatow's trademark can clearly be seen in how the comedy is edited together in these kind of laid-back sketches. Yeah. Uh, these laid-back sketches where they're just chilling and front of the TV section of the store. Dialogue heavy, and mm-hmm. you can almost feel improv as yes. well, very improv heavy, which he's always good at doing, mm-hmm. uh, Apatow. The question is, well, how is it How is it playing for you? I'm very excited to hear really your overall take on this. I, I think it's, it's, mostly, it's mostly all, oddly enough, I like the moments when there are more than four people on the scene and, and riffing mm. and you can feel that they're just kind of like bouncing around. And that was, that was probably like a two hour, if not more, on set for just that scene. Right, right. And then stitching together. I think when the film gets more structured and it's, it's something, I don't know, where where Carell's on his own or something like that, or these rom-com aspects that come in, that's where the film falls off a little bit for me. Okay. Uh, okay, so you like the... Okay, interesting. I like the riffing of it, uh, mainly because you get this huge variety. You get this bench strength uh, of so many comedic talents in this film. I mean, it's yeah. really crazy yeah. to look at this cast and be like, wow, I mean... Talk I know, about, all the way back to 2005. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think how these scenes are stitched together, you know, the setting is mundane enough to have these actors just riff and the best moments stitched together for the final film... And like I said, folks, in the beginning, this style of comedy runs rampant in the early 2000s as copycats. Mm, um, yeah. I, I, won't, I won't go into another <laughs> breakdown <say>. list. <laughs> yeah, call that online. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it really is constant. And I think Apatow brings something special here that his copycats do not have. And I hope that, uh, and I hope to nail down what exactly spe- is specific to Apatow and his writing and his comedy structure 
that uh, the other the other films uh, don't have basically. Okay. So uh, I would say so many scenes are just dedicated to bringing guest talent into the movie as well. Kevin Hart, Elizabeth Banks, Jonah Hill. They all are super early in their careers. Very much so. And it just feels like they they just got sections of the film dedicated to them. Kevin Hart specifically. I'm not saying that Apatow knew what they were going to do or anything like that or how big they were going to be. Love when, but... You love when that happens in yeah. film, though. <laughs> going all the way back to John Wayne, which we all know that yeah. scene in Stagecoach. Well, we, you, you and I know that scene yeah, in yeah, Stagecoach. Yeah. <laughs> but it is cool to see. It's cool to go back to almost 20 years ago yeah. and see it was just like, wow. And look at him now. Like That was like, what a what, what a cool thing to look back on that. Be like, you got his own little scene here. You're totally right with the Jonah Hill <laughs> yep, and yep. everything like that. Yeah. That's Absolutely. And they work so well. I mean, these are not only are these guest spot scenes, you know, welcome to see if you're if you're rewatching this or even watching it for the first time. Uh, let's say even watching it back in uh, 2005. But when it comes down to it, is like they are some of the best scenes of the movie as mm, well. Yeah, uh, which is great. Yes, I. So I don't think I ever. I didn't laugh out loud once watching the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I would say that's my most enjoyable. Kevin Hart was pretty good, cracking okay. a smile, and I would say probably the most much I smiled if I ever did give an out loud chuckle was probably with Jonah Hill. Um, <laughs> In the he's store, just so young. Yeah, the eBay store. Great little character. Yeah, and I, he really is so young. Too. Do you think that the film is hindered by the fact of how? how much we have seen this over and over. This is classic TBS rerun. Mm, you know, this so is classic. True. It had such, it was such a big comedy in its mm. day and so talked about that comedy specifically, it, it, it can't be, <laughs> I don't think it can, ev- no matter how good of a comedy could ever really be a Godfather part two mm. where it's on or something like that. You're, you're soaked into it and it's still just as good. It's got things mm. that's just, it's still surprising you with. Mm-hmm. I just, I barely ever watched this film. I mm-hmm. might have watched it once all the way through, okay. but I don't even know if I did. It might have just been bits and pieces. Interesting. And yet feel like I've seen the whole movie. Yeah. Watching it again, now I'm not, the comedy is so difficult, I think, for it to hit a second time in a certain way that a great mm. script or drama can. Sure. And that was hindering my enjoyment. I yeah. like the film just fine. Mm-hmm. I like the Truman Show better. It's really tough for me, though. It was mm. tough for me to be wowed. That's sure, all. sure. And maybe I'm coming off a little bit not as hot on this as well. Than Interesting. You. Uh, I, I kind of just figured uh, you would be a fan of these type of movies, but I didn't know uh, with with this one specifically. I totally get what you're saying, though, because if anything, the downside of these mundane scenes uh, in the Best Buy store or so many scenes where it's just clearly just riffing, I feel like they all do blend together. So if you've seen one little bit, you've kind of seen them all. That's the thing with being with the crew. Yeah. And this, and the the, the Paul Rudds and just the whole crew. Steve Carell's the outlier. He goes on and just does his own thing, really. Yeah, yeah. Very true. But that's also where the rom-com steps in. And I was like, I... I, Uh, the, I felt the trappings, like, the the stereotypical trappings of that. See, that felt a little bit fresh to me because it's just like, okay, I'm watching a movie at least. Mm, okay. Where okay. We're, we're with the bros and they're being bros. It's like just first like 20. It's typical like... Seth Rogen joke. <laughs> Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd. He has, he just says he's like a little puzzle piece. You can just always plug him in there. <laughs> and it was so formulaic after now basically two decades mm. of this Judd Apatowian type sure. comedy yep. that now going back and watching these, I feel like they're going to suffer a little bit at least mm. for me. To be honest with you, it's just like, okay, how is Vin going to go and do that? For me, yeah. it's, if, you know, if I give it yeah. shoes, I don't give it shoes, no one cares. <laughs> but for you having to rate it, like we always say, we're watching the here and now, we're watching yeah. the 2023. There's a lot of Judd Apatow 
commentary. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of films where we had all these same guys on screen mm-hmm. having almost the exact same kind of dialogue. Mm-hmm. A little, I was like, okay, there goes Seth Rogen again being Seth Rogen. <laughs> you know what See, I mean? So there's, I think, I think uh, uh, the standout elements, I mean, are, are they on 100% the whole time? No, by the nature right. of how this, this comedy is created. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like there are the real standout scenes where those are the backbones of the film. Okay. And each one has one of them, I really think. I feel like every character and has at least one scene as even even the, the, the supporting roles of the other uh you know the other employees that right, he works right. with. Everyone has at least one pretty good one dedicated to okay, that. And, and I feel like that's that's a mark of quality. I least. think that I think that's fair. And yeah. I think going in the Judd Apatow one, that's a good thing to kind of note and we can kind of look at that. Who yeah. has the scene or how many scenes are given out to each individual pe- yeah. people that's hitting. Because I think we'll also find then there's going to be some that just overall are hitting better. Yeah. You know, I'm expecting better than the 40-year-old virgin going forward a little bit, to be honest with you. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, if anything, my feeling was like, this was solid, but definitely felt like a first run, if you will. And and that's not good to say for Apatow, because he was, he did Freaks and Geeks. I mean, it was not the first run for him, but it feels like... Blowout comedy that people are talking about. Exactly. Yeah. To me, uh, I feel like I would feel the same way about this film is if I returned to the very first Hangover film, that uh, the shock... The first time experience sure. has worn off now, and if anything, that's you hit the nail on the head. Why I don't, you know, why I want to a- aim away from comedies because it's so hard to stand by my belief of watching in the here and now with comedy. But there's a, but there is a quality thing. Yeah. So for instance, I know how I feel about Walk Hard, and boy, I cannot, I love. <laughs> yeah, I, can't I didn't wait. know you were doing Walk Hard. Yeah. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. I think it's a problem I have with this crew for so many movies being just this crew. Yeah. Because I gotta be I, like, I can go back a year before, two years before, two thousand three. Yeah, I love Daddy Daycare, mm, okay. and I would watch Daddy Daycare. Uh, and uh, then in two thousand four, Dodgeball. Oh, sure. I think sure. Dodgeball for me has a much more rewatchability aspect to it Different than a forty-year-old version, as well, especially Dodgeball. Right. And even though Vince Vaughn might be acting like Vince Vaughn, I feel mm. like he can be fresh in a certain way. Where I, there is no freshness in my eyes, at least for Rogan for Rudd, mm. and for kind of a J- Judd Apatow properties. Interesting. I think what got me there with Rogan and Rudd specifically is just how young they were. Uh, okay. I think I enjoyed it more. I've never seen them, but there's uh, there was the camp movies. Oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. Uh, but um, Paul Rudd's in those. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer that oh, uh, sure. I hear great things about. Sure. And I, I just think I think they're they're younger. And the, the shtick is a little, you know, Seth Rogen, perfect example. The stoner shtick is, is a little bit more fresh. It's also not directly okay. in your face. Like, he's just smoking weed randomly in a scene rather than him being like, uh, being you know? in a scene, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, obviously, we will switch our tune when we get to Pineapple Express, yeah. but you know, we'll go from there. <laughs> but like I did with the Zucker Abrams study, um, I, I do want to highlight some standout scenes because, I can't Please, yeah. explain where this movie works without, you know, kind of giving a shout out a little bit. I, I think as far as repping it for Carell uh, in 2005, the body wax scene is honestly an all time great. Uh, I, wow, I, it still hits for you like yeah, that? Yeah, huh? it was. I was watching and I was just like, obviously, I've seen it one thousand times. <laughs> you know, I even not watching this film in its entirety, it's just like it's something that you've seen. But man, it's it's just. 
It's such a, it really is, it really is such a great performance okay. for him. Um, and, and you can, that's also another one where you can just clearly see <laughs> how the scene was stitched together. Everyone kind of has their moments of just like throwing out one liners. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't yeah. maybe even feel natural, but it works because it, uh, it's so ridiculous. Uh, the how I know you're gay scene between Seth and Paul, uh, was, I, I, I honestly, I think super solid. Like a, okay. a really good improv scene. I think Seth Rogen and Paul together as well is a magic mix that I don't know how often we see them directly together but that scene I don't know that's where the guy humor was really hitting for me because <laughs> they're just playing video games it doesn't even make sense they're like play, you know, playing right. Mortal Kombat on like an N64 controller or something. <laughs> but it was just like it's such a good guy humor scene um, and uh, I would say as far as running gags go I, I don't know if there will be the heights of uh, the running gags that we saw with uh, the Zucker Abrams movie but uh, putting the pussy on the pedestal is, is I was just dying every time oh, <laughs> pretty good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just dying every time with that. It was just a great running joke. But uh, listen, folks, I, I think this is a strong start on this one. I can safely say I experienced the comedy version of Razzle Dazzle with this film. That end credit sequence was pretty pretty fantastic. I, I've never seen this film in its entirety. Okay. And the end credit sequence <laughs> really got me. It was just like a it last moment that I... really won me over. <laughs> and so it was like comedy Razzle Dazzle, honestly. Okay. Um, just for how it was jarring it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the rom-com aspects shackle this movie. And shackle a pretty good story otherwise that kind of just feels played out in parts. But if anything, uh, like I said in the beginning, I think this could be seen as a parody of 90s rom-coms. I personally has high, have high hopes for this study, and this being one of Carell's, one of his most iconic ro- roles, I don't think it's going to do you wrong. We're going to go ahead and give the 40-year-old version a 68. Okay, 68. So Okay, I was kind of thinking we'd put it in the 70s, but 68, not a bad score, pretty good yeah. movie. Yeah. I, I, I like this a lot. I think it fits right here, actually. And I think it, also, not that I, I'm, I'm swaying or, or, or giving ratings on a curve or anything like that, I yeah. feel like they're... I need to give some runway for what I know I love Knocked Up for and what I know I love Dewey Cox for. <laughs> so I feel like there's there's more room for those comedies to become, you know, in, in the higher range. I love that. Okay. Yeah. I love that we're doing them too, like going through. Yeah. And hopefully it'll spark even more. Like I said, we have a quite the 15-year stretch, yeah. even off of Apatow. Yeah. Just like people just killing it for some sure. of these. Sure, um, So I love it. Okay, 68. Pretty good score for 40-year-old virgin folks. All right, Finn. So we're going to go ahead and go into our donation segment before we get into our two new mm. movies. Now, we have two producers for this week, which oh. is awesome. So we're going to step up. We have t- t- friends of the show, really. Friends yeah, of the show at this point. They're all friends of the Produ- If you're a producer, you're a friend of the show. And we have repeat producers here. So Brandon Beebe came in, and he's given you, he's the first to do the donation of he's buying you a movie ticket. Oh, ben. okay. So the national average of the movie ticket last year was $11.75. <laughs> the that's, national That's average. what Brandon donated. Uh, so Brandon wrote, Vinny, since other sites pay for movie critics to leave positive <laughs> reviews, how much to bump up those Sonic movies? Uh, just wanted to get in some bashing and is why I love listening to you guys. No amount of money will change Vinny's mind, mm. which uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Brandon. Yes, um, absolutely. It, it's so true, too. Mm. So for folks who don't know, there was a story that broke this week. Uh, Vulture cut and covered the story where... A PR firm went out and bought for $50 a pop lower-level critics yep. on Rotten Tomatoes. And basically, it was to bolster up a film, some 
Ophelia film by and Daisy Ridley was in it. It was like a right. nothing movie. I'm honestly surprised I didn't hear about it. So the scores were, I think the original score of the film was at a 46. It got bumped up to a 62 mm. because these people, the lower end critics, again, that Rotten Tomatoes went out and higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you had some people change their bad scores into good scores, yep. which is just ridiculous. But the thing is, once when you get above 60% Rotten Tomatoes, it's like a fresh, it's a fresh yep. movie. Yep. And then when did you know that then as soon as it hits that, IFC announces that they're picking up the film for distribution. Mm. So the biggest thing was it, it's one PR firm and it's paying low-level critics, but still, it's it's it, it, the system is so easy to game, yep. as well as what is your... If, if we ever get so big where we're hiring other people, mm. there's going to be such a process of vetting people, sure. making sure that they have your same mindset, because this is, at the end of the day, the daily ratings. Sure, You know what sure. I mean? And I just think you get so big for your bridges, you get so corporate, which Rotten Tomatoes mm. is, and that... The way to game the system is so easy. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. They are owned 25% from Warner Bros. Discovery, 75% owned from uh, NBC Universal. Yeah, yeah. How does that not influence things? Those are right. big studios that pump out films. Yeah. And we're supposed to think that things are on the up and up. Things yep. are totally honest. The scores e- that you're getting, e- even it's just ethics wise, I mean, how are you not swayed from. Uh, Something coming out, and it's part of your team. Uh, how are you not swayed in some way like that? Right, so, exactly. Um, it, it's really why we believe in no advertising on the podcast as well, and we want to be producer-run, uh, because it's it's not about the product. It's about the reception of the product. Right, and, exactly. Uh, it's about all of you. And that's what we're all about here, folks. That's why we say fair, honest, consistent. It's one guy doing the reviews. <laughs> he watches films. He knows films. And it's just the fact of... Until I die it, in the theater. <laughs> As the but, music but cuts out. It, it, <laughs> the funny thing is it's foolproof, though, really. Yeah, be- yeah. Because the whole idea is that because you're the guy giving the ratings, it, they're going to naturally be consistent. Yeah. And not only that, if people are consistently disagreeing with you mm-hmm. on, let's say, science fiction movies, mm-hmm. that's still... Even though you're disagreeing, it's still a marker to go by. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that you have to see things my way, but by being so ingrained in my in my beliefs and my opinions of these films, uh, you 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 have a marker. You exactly. have a marker to judge your own uh, opinions on the film. Exactly. So, Brandon, we thank you one for the 11.75 bought in a movie ticket for the week. Appreciate that. But also, thanks for bringing that story up. It gives us a chance to have a little yeah, bit of dialogue absolutely. about it. Absolutely. And anytime we can, you know, nothing like patting our own selves on the back yeah. here. Uh, uh, we we also talked about it in the past, but. But uh, as far as you know, dream of dreams. If we're able to really grow, uh, actually having specific delegates for content, having maybe a TV type of specialist. Uh, if uh, you know, everyone exactly. wants me to cover TV. I don't want to cover TV. <laughs> <laughs> TV but, or video games. Someone mentioned yeah, to me. Yeah. I mean, if we could grow in any way, again, we want to be around for a while. Yeah. So who knows how big and great we can get? But yeah. we always want to stay. True to our commitment here. Yep. Fair, honest, consistent. We always want people to stop by here, listen to the reviews, or go on the site and know what they have here, know what they're dealing with, and know that it's true and honest. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon, mm-hmm. thank you so much for that. You are a co-executive producer. Have you ever said co-executive producer? <laughs> uh, associate, maybe? Yes, associate executive producer. Yes, associate executive <laughs> there <we> producer. Go. <laughs> <laughs> we have a good another friend of the show coming back. So, Matt D is the executive producer. Oh, Matt D coming boy. in, and uh, he donated 2001 pennies. So, he gave us a Space Odyssey donation. Excellent. So, Wonderful. Matt D wrote a big note in here. Who do you think his knives are out on this one? <laughs> I feel like I've been in the hot seat lately, maybe. Uh, no, but. Ch- all right, right. I, I've been I've been previewed <laughs> to some of the gathering storm okay. of this, so uh, I'm very excited. Okay. I have not heard this yet, folks. So, so we haven't heard from Matt D in a while, and Matt writes. 
Vin, Vin, Vin. <laughs> Here it is. The moment you surely knew was coming as soon as you scored these two films. <laughs> I mean, something inside of you must have been telling you they were wrong. I realize you hate score comparisons, but in this case, it could not be invo- avoided. <laughs> Someone had to do it, and I certainly raised my hand. Oh, man. We have two recent DCEU films, which is DC Expanded Universe? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC Expanded Universe films, both released after the reboot announcement and both clearly impacted by the pivot. Mm. One takes this pivot and decides to tell a largely self-contained boilerplate story. Mm -hmm. The story and performances are boring, the plot is forgettable, the CGI is bad, but par for the course for today's superhero films. (laughs) But there's a beginning middle and end there's a resolution there are themes there's there's structure it's it's perfectly fine as a type of generic kids film in the way that 1995's might morph in power rangers is oh wow now the second film (laughs) good comparison the second looks the second looks the pivot in the face and decides to pick up a bunch of film off the ground tape it together and call it a movie (laughs) it opens with an action sequence that would be too outrageous for a superhero spoof movie and doesn't get better from there the cgi finds new frontiers of bad every character looks like gumby had a love child with the year 2005 <laughs> the characterizations on screen are outlandish and wildly inconsistent whole personalities change depending on the scene the entire logic of the core plot point of the film is nonsense if you were to watch this film disconnected from the dceu it would be total gibberish if you try to watch it as some sort of conclusion to the dceu or even continuation of it it's even more confusing you scored the second movie 20 points higher than the first. How? Did you watch The Flash, enter the Speed Force, and go back to when you watched Shazam 2 and mix up the scores? <laughs> this injustice cannot be ignored. Will you, public- be ignored. Will you publicly commit here and now to rewatching and rescoring these two very bad and very <laughs> long movies in an effort to make this right? So that's wow. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, Amazing. well, he took his knives out on you on that one. <laughs> Listen, we've been asking. I'm unscathed, baby. Let's come out clean on that one. Come out clean. Tommy's coming out with the shoes. (laughs) Um, Well, listen, uh, as I have said on our, I think our end of year um, wrap up, there's usually one movie a year that I'm like, (laughs) regret. I don't know. I have I have regrets. I have uh, uh, reviewer remorse, if you will. Okay. Last year was Nope, and largely for a better score. And while this year is not done yeah. yet, and I think there is plenty, plenty uh, to unfold, I think Flash is definitely one of those that it would be much, much lower. I think, ah, listen, I don't know if I want to give the commitment because then I got to watch the movie again. I don't know. I mean, let's be honest. There had to be... I disagree with you disagreeing with your nope. Oh, really? I say don't touch it. Okay, okay. As far as these two, there's no way you're bringing Shazam up, right? No, So what the real story is, is why is... why is the flash right why is the flash why is the flash above avatar 2 why is the flash above which by the way it's a 46 percent only i'm not saying the film's good but (laughs) right 46 does not say a good film yeah but matt d is wondering how is it not in the 20s (laughs) how is shazam so low well i and and this is where i got a little bit of a preview from matt uh, on this i think what it boils down to is that predictability is something that I 
had no patience for. I had no attention span for Shazam 2. Mm. As bad and as fumbled, and I really mean fumbled, as Flash was, there was, um, it, it was, it was Flashpoint. It was the unique story. It was a, the quintessential Flash story being put on, on screen. Uh, it was like you, this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't actually hate Ezra Miller as right, the Flash. Right, I, I enjoyed a, a little bit of the emotional beats of this. Right. Um, now there are, it, it's it's a Frankenstein's monster of a film, though. The CGI is bad. I mean, you definitely yeah, I crapped mean, on this film. To the point that some of the social media fodder has been chopping up that review yeah. <laughs> and me, me shitting on the movie. So, uh, you know, folks, you can check out that on, on Instagram and the like. I'll tell you I, what, there's not many scores that you might think that you have to <laughs> redo or that you regret or something like that, which is pretty good. It really is, is one a year. I, I'm not even saying that in an arrogant way. Like, it is one a year that it's just like, oh, the one that got away. <laughs> so I think, I don't know. Uh, here's here's the answer, Matt D. Uh, I don't want to revisit The Flash just because it was such a bad movie, and I don't want to watch it again. But at the same time, uh, you have my commitment is that if I am going to review, re-review something and rescore something, mm-hmm. it gets a full additional. I love watch. how this comes right after oh, I just patted ourselves on the back at how oh, fair on is consistent. consistent. <laughs> <laughs> because but I think I, I, if, if I'm going to rescore something, go I got to yep. give it a fair shake. And the reason why I say that is that a lot of the times how I'm coming across must watches is specifically two watches. Okay, um, so there. There's, there's uh, additional consideration put there. Now, I'll say this even. If, if that ever were to happen or rewatch it or you actually rewatch something and realize mm-hmm. something's wrong here, we need to change it. Yep. I'll tell all the listeners right now, we will never just do it quietly. No, no, uh, no. We'll come on the show. Yep. We will do another uh, review. We'll even take some notes from the first one and everything like that. We'll make it right yep. and, and explain why the changes are happening like that. Again, it's not going to be often. Yeah. Um, and even the greats, Roger Ebert, again, came out with a book about some of his biggest ratings and some of, like, a lot of ratings he's right. done. And then he failed to mention the entire time that he ended up changing a lot of his ratings, actually. Oh, wow, wow. Movies in the past that he gave, like, one and a half, two stars. <laughs> and then retroactively gave it four stars and just managed not to tell anybody yeah, about it. Yeah. So if that ever happens, folks, in the future, we will be honest about it and everything like yeah. that. I want to make a comment, though. Okay. I, I, listen, I'm with you every week. Yep. I'm in person with you every week when we do this podcast. Yep. You really did not like Shazam 2 <laughs> for multiple, multiple reasons. Yep. Okay, And you had a natural feeling towards the film. Mm. When you watched Flash, you had a natural feeling to the film. And as bad as some of those parts were, like the CGI, like mm. some of the other characters, there were good elements that brought it up to a 46. Yeah. I wouldn't be so quick to take that back. As mad as Matt D about mm. it is, and we're having fun, yeah. but um, I... <laughs> I don't know. I have to. I have to stick up for Vin a little bit here, Matt, because <laughs> he's coming the, to my rescue. <laughs> well, no, it's just there is a natural feeling to you watching these films. Yeah, you put that down. Those goes in your. Those go in your notes right away. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to sit here months later from the Flash, and even mm-hmm. more months later after Shazam Two, because I feel like if we were to go back and listen to those reviews back and back, mm. there might not be as much loss that you think is there. Like mm. the one, the whole one that got away. Mm. I don't necessarily know. Which you, s- you said you would disagree with the nope. Uh, and um, yeah, you're, 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 you act like your nope was so harsh. And no, yeah, I, I don't see that. I, I, and it's also it's from my perspective as well. That that's probably it's it's probably blown out a little bit when I think back on it. Yeah, you know, so just in the same way that in the logic of actually fully rewatching the movie before touching a score again, mm-hmm. it, it has to be real. It has to be, I have to really put thought and consideration. And genuine it. feelings. Right, exactly. And sometimes you walk away 
listen, uh, we're done over a thousand of these. Like I said, over 500 audio. Sometimes also you're going to feel a way about a movie that yeah. some people just can't quite understand. Sure. And, and maybe most of us don't understand it. Right, right. But you're human. We just have to, we just right. have to accept that. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> um, maybe that'll be a fun category at the end of the review special. And oh, your special too. I'll tell you what. I am super Making curious what custom, uh, custom things. Because we just got start thinking already. So many franchises, so much bullshit. Like, <laughs> but maybe something yeah. like this could go on. Now, Matt, I'm going to say right now, you made some good points. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I love the breakdown of uh, the, the Power note Rangers. Was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent, well thought out note, Matt. It was it was fun. I've read it a few times over yeah. too. So it, I don't know. Really good note. Really great, great. He's always on us. He really is. Thank you so much for your donation. Your executive producer of episode ninety nine, Brandon Beebe. You are at, you are associate executive producer of 99 <laughs> you guys continue you have been around since the very beginning though the both of these guys yes thank absolutely. you so much for coming in here as we approach our 100 and just coming in and, and you know you're giving us value you're showing us the value that you're getting for this mm-hmm. on top of the value that you always showed in the past so we appreciate it so so much that you guys continue to support us it's huge for those of you listening uh, who are kind of wondering what's going on what this segment is all of a sudden uh, this is the producer segment and just like how I said that Matt and Brandon are producers anyone who donates to the show Anybody who goes ahead and send us some money uh, on the show, you are now a legit producer. You're actually helping produce. You're putting funds into the coffers. You are help producing. (laughs) You're adding content, both Brandon and Matt D. Great content added. Okay, great notes to make here. And we're opening up a dialogue with those who help produce. It's just a great it's a great connection with all of you guys who, who really enjoy listening and everything like that. The value that Matt and Brandon are getting is because that's the idea. This is called the value for value model. Um, we didn't invent it, but we're going off of it, which Vin and I host the podcast every mm-hmm. week. We have the website to go along with it. We have the newsletter that comes out every Tuesday morning. Are you enjoying it? Are you watching your own movies? Are you into movies more now than what you were before you were listening? That's value to you. That's value in your pocket. We ask you, if you could, to go to the dailyratings.com and send some value back in our pocket. You go to the donations tab, whether it be on the top right on the website or just right there on mobile. It's just mm. down a bit uh, on the homepage. Click the donate button. Matt did a one time, which is the Space Odyssey, 2001 Pennies. Yep. Brandon did a one time, which is donate or buy Vin a movie ticket. There's also the value for value button there. And that means you can plug in whatever number you want. Whatever value you're getting from our products here for what we're providing, uh, you go ahead, send it in. Along with a note, we're going to read it right here. Whether it be critiques like Matt D, <laughs> whether it be a big thanks from Brandon, um, or, or whether it be whatever. You want to ask about TV. What about Talk about something completely different. Ask us about questions about life or this or whatever you're going to take the time to produce to send us cash it means so much to us uh and we're going to read it right here and address that on the podcast we've been asking we've been poking the bear for critiques so all things considered uh, uh matt d did critiques with love uh we're still waiting on just the actual hate yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, pay to play basically to get us to read uh, hateful comments <laughs> and hey, if you just want to send us three bucks you can get your hate in we appreciate that this was the this was the trainings wheels on this yeah. one because very thought out, very eloquent. <laughs> so I'm waiting for the the true vitriol of the internet to come through on some of my some of my hot takes. <laughs> uh, folks, next week is our 100th episode, and we sure hope that we have hundreds more. But it does mark something special. It marks us uh, around the f- fifth hundred movie that's going on that we have audio to that's on the site. It also marks almost two years or two years worth of content. It's we're, we're growing. We think the podcast is getting better. More and more people are listening, and we thank you all so much. We'll have some more dialogue about next week. But if you champagne? are champagne, 
Maybe champagne. Ooh, <laughs> tipsy. But if you are enjoying the work, if you're enjoying the daily ratings, like I said, if you're finding valuable, you know, our website isn't slowed down by a bunch of ads that's on your site or pop-ups or you need to subscribe <laughs> yeah. or we're not going to sit here and pitch you underwear or, I don't know, food services or mattresses <laughs> or whatever. You know, the whole idea is it's very pure. It's, it's so about the movies. It's yep. about the films. Exactly. And uh, it's it's great. Been doing this for the past 99 episodes. We hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, if you can, tell somebody about it. And uh, even more so, if you could, you go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and just show us some of the value that you're getting. We appreciate you all so much, and we're excited next week for our Hundy episode. Don't forget... The hundy on the hundy. <laughs> yeah, I was and wondering so, <laughs> if it was going to come through. And by the way, since a hundred bucks, and that's why we do it like this. There's no paywalls here. A mm. hundred bucks to you is way different from this person to that person to that person. A hundred bucks to this guy might be five bucks to this person. Mm. You know, and that's why it's just like it's whatever you want. So give us a hundy, give us a hundy nickels, give us a hundy dimes, <laughs> give us a hundy quarter, whatever you want. <laughs> it's so much fun. Uh, it's, we're going to have a great Hundy episode next week. But with that, okay, Matt D, Nichols. executive producer. Brandon, thank you so much. Associate executive producer. You guys are awesome. You continue yes. to be producer of the Daily Ratings. Thank you so, so much. We absolutely love you. Okay, so let's keep on going here. Vin, we are in the newly released. Uh, mm. I think this is the film we've all been dying to hear about all year. <laughs> this is My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, directed by Nia Vardalos. Or, or Vardalos. Uh, Vardalos, yep. Uh, <laughs> let's get into it how was your theater watching experience how was the film it was an hour and 32 <laughs> oh boy talk about short talk so, about short let's get into it folks i am i just would like to say though i'm not doing the series deep dive on these two let's just be honest real trash movies <laughs> <laughs> i'm not holding back i've done my homework i've done my my research you know these are not lower quality just because i didn't watch the uh, the summer reading excellent, on excellent. this so folks uh, this is an interesting production story um and uh, one worth paying attention to regardless of the fact that I would say no one should ever see this movie. Uh, <laughs> um, this one uh, was written, directed, and starring uh, Nia Vardalos. Oh. She is an actress. She has been with the franchise from the very beginning. So, listen, if I get nervous when a director-actor combo comes up, boy, was I not prepared for this three-part <laughs> juggling act. I mean, Nia Vardalos uh, has... Only recently adopted this director role, however. She is both the lead actress and sole writer for the trilogy, but uh, stepped up one more level for this final one, most likely because probably no one really wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Right, right. Um, The first one was directed by the TV production veteran Joel Zwick. And the second Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, or BFGW, as we'll (laughs) refer to, uh, was directed by the relative rookie Kirk Jones. But nothing, and I mean nothing, folks, could prepare me for how messy this film would be with a brand new director who already has a colossal responsibility on our shoulders i mean let me let me just dial it back a little bit i'm empathetic for nia i i it's too much (laughs) it's too much girl like i I get it you know the writing these starring these these are clearly her baby there is passion there right um there's passion in the story she wants to tell it is so fumbled it's oh my god and you think it's just because she's so busy because it's it's writing directing and acting and i and i and for unfortunately this one is plainly bad because of the directing the stitching, the structure, the pacing of this film, all of the all the bones, if you will, of the film 
do not work even relatively. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're real bad. Boy. Um, <laughs> as far as the setup here, we return with the Portocalos family in a big 90s style vacation flick. That I think is the closest thing I can use to describe this movie, not for quality, but just for <laughs> structure. Explained by our lead herself, uh, the first BFGW was about family expectations and late blooming in love. The second uh, reboot, several, several years later, was about how those family expectations shackled her new growing family and fighting to keep traditions alive. In our third bout with the Porcalos, they are bringing the whole family to the motherland, traveling to Greece, and largely it's a rewash of let's keep tradition alive, which mm. I guess could be the whole theme for the trilogy. It's kind right, of asinine it's... that it is a trilogy at all. <laughs> <laughs> the tone of the film is pretty sickeningly sweet, with many conflicts resolving themselves mere seconds after being introduced on screen. Uh, just when you think something is going to add some drama or add a little bit of a wrinkle to the plot. Uh, and uh, yeah, believe me, even, even the happiest of comedies need a little bit of conflict. We gotta kind of mm. stay in the game a little bit. <laughs> I mean this, seconds, milliseconds sometimes they're resolved after being introduced. It is unreal. Uh, don't get me wrong, I expected this, this to be a feel-good comedy. This is uh, alongside probably a new wave of these kind of, um, kind of nationalistic comedies coming out. Let me tell you, wow, did this not have any ride to it at all. There's no ride to right, this right. film. Duh. It's just presented to you in, 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 in just the worst way. Right. It's right. just right there in your face, and yeah. it's also not done well. Yeah that, yeah, that lack of conflict. I mean, this could have been a slideshow. This could have been... Mm. Uh, a TV spinoff. The, 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 the say, movie is not the right format for this. I was going to say TV for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and if anything, if if the if the goal, no shame in this, is to just further bank on clearly a successful franchise for Nia and, and clearly her baby. Again, I am empathetic that I don't, I didn't, you know, this three part juggling. I'm not rooting for her to fail. That's that's props. But I, it's just too much Ma- for anyone props. and yeah. too much for uh, you know. A nonsense story. A nonsense, right, you know, right. cash grab. And this whole film, uh, speaking of Sonic, this whole film plays out like a travel advertisement for Greece. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, is there some adverts in this film? And I guess, you know, girls got to get it funded some way. So uh, that's that's how it probably Couldn't happened. even figure out the budget. I, I <laughs> oh, really? Had, well, because I had to put it on the um, on the newsletter, yeah, what the yeah. budget was, because it was like third best this week or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't even know what it is. <laughs> right. There's like an estimated maybe 16, something like that. Shot maybe on 18. a black site. Uh, <laughs> But the amount of shots that just linger on Greeks, companies, or services, and services specifically, like, they're almost designed as puff pieces for how competent the Greek travel agency is, or travel uh, economy is. All of it is captured clearly by a B-team production on this film, and boy, uh, is the editing from scene to scene just so sloppy and so disjointed. I mean, the film feels like a checklist of shots rather than a cohesive movie, a cohesive story, mm. even. In, I mean, this is this is really bad. <laughs> and, I, and I cannot stress enough, folks. I mean, if anything, watching this, I was like, I kind of want to watch the first one just because, just to give it a shot. You know, well, the first one was huge. Like I'll just say, if it came out like twenty years ago now, it yeah, came out yeah. in, in two thousand and two. Right, uh, had a five million dollar budget. Mm-hmm. And it made three hundred and seventy. Right, 
So cold hit. No wonder why there was a second one for sure. Mm-hmm. But ah, you're milking it. You're really milking it's, it. And this is and this is milked dry. Uh, the cow is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cow hasn't been alive for a while. <laughs> Maybe the cow was dead by the second one as well. So, <laughs> boy, I mean, we want to talk about comedy not working. Wow. Wow, yeah, Tom, that bad. is the does the comedy fall short on this? I need to stress that the style of like ethnic jokes that feel this fill this script work just fine. Uh, like any of these type of movies, for instance, we had uh, this this very year the Italian American charged movie about my father that came out and. I'm told is largely pass- passable. Uh, there was a South Korean one as well that came out. There's we're seeing a uh, we're seeing comedies already on the backbeat, but if they're coming back, they're kind of coming back for these um, these kind of yeah. national groups. That Italian one, that's a uh, Maniscalco one. And yes, De Niro and De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I believe the South Korean one was uh, it was that party one. I think it was called Joyride or something like that. Yeah, everything everywhere uh, all at once. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna poke Mac D. Uh, you're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta fuck the bear, but I'm sorry. There, uh, for something that bills itself as a comedy, the comedic timing in this is god awful. Uh, I mean, it was outright painful to sit through jokes in this film and for how bland and blatantly unfunny they are, and I really mean unfunny. My theater was sprinkled with several groups of moms and I don't think there was a single snicker out of any of them. Did you go alone with this? Uh, no, I went with my mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I-, I need someone to balance my opinion a little bit. I turned to my mom halfway through. She goes, not working. Not working. <laughs> not working. She- she's become harsher on critics uh, on, on, you know, on reviewing the films of me. If you ever sick one week, I'll have to bring her in. <laughs> yeah, get her on the exactly. other side of the table. Mama Daly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mama Daly's reviews. But wasn't working in the theater it wasn't working no, for anybody. No, and clearly for the mega fans coming out for this. Sure, one, absolutely. You know, this is a fan film. That's another yeah, way to kind of see this. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Wow. Uh, just, just like not funny jokes. Uh, there's uh, uh, running jokes where a character says, oh, that's Greek. That's Greek. And it's like, it just dies every time. It dies on the vine. There's just so much, too, that the... It feels like scenes are disjointed. I mean, Christ, if there's anything I can give praise to Apatow as as far as like stitching together the comedy, the comedy is found in the edit. Sure. Boy, did they need someone in the editing booth on this one <laughs> to find what comedy really worked. Right, right. You know, this this, this area where editing rears its ugly head, it, it's because the movie is cut almost like a TV sitcom. And that's where I kind of come into make this a TV revival. I feel like this does much better in that type of space. Yeah, it's totally being picked up by like Peacock or something like exactly. that too. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and even just digestible as a streaming type of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's countless uh, of these type of revival type of stories. Uh, I don't know why Full House is coming to mind, but you know, these, these revival sitcoms. Comes. Oddly enough, they're all doing bad too. As well. Yeah, right, right. Because maybe there's a reason why right. you know you end these things. You know, but shots will hang on so many pointless, small jokes. I mean, small like crumbs, baby, baby, little, little, baby jokes. The wrong part of the Mediterranean. No, song, but... no, Your hand gesture was just yeah. bringing me to more than that. <laughs> Uh, wrong side, but little botsel, little botsel. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I mean, like it hangs expecting this uproar of laughter. It it hangs on these scenes, giving a chance for the t- uh, for the for the theater to laugh. 
like a a marvel if you will or right. something like there, there's 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 a there's a small gap there's a breath <laughs> to give an audience reaction and nothing it, it, the where i have such a problem with it is paired on nothing like these are throwaway <laughs> jokes these are like baby's first jokes and and Which, she wrote the last two she wrote them all this Co- is this wrote or she no no soul this is her franchise, which, I mean, first movie, I would say colossal. Great, you know. Uh, that's a ma- that's Right, to star in it, and it's your own idea, and, and clearly it's a it's, hit. Right. Like and a it's a true it, hit. It's such a true type of story to, um, to, her, uh, to, her, to her upbringing and her family and everything like that. That's where I kind of wanted to watch the first one, because I was like, boy, I want to give this girl something. Like, right. She's doing a bad job. <laughs> She's doing a bad job. It's a bad job. It was just too much... The juggling act killed this thing. Mm. Um, the film and performances, you know, they, they just lack <laughs> any comedic timing uh, whatsoever. The awkward timing is shown perfectly in the brother character played by uh, uh, Luis uh, Mandalore. Mm. Or, or no, no, Man- Mandiller. Yeah, man- yeah, yeah. Mandalore. Mandalore. Uh, sure. Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he just cracks just, I mean, brutally simple <laughs> zingers that... Would even be in bad taste for a sitcom 20 years old. It's like her writing has not evolved. And mm. I can't say that 100% because I haven't seen the, I didn't do the homework. So yep. I don't get to really entrench myself in that opinion. But boy, I mean, these are, these are old for uh, pre, pre Seinfeld jokes. I mean, they are just the lowest hanging fruit. They're, they're on the ground rotting, basically. So <laughs> there's just simply no rhythm on the delivery to these jokes. And, what is there is just so, so by the books, uh, made me question if they were jokes at all, honestly. That's wow. where I, I turned to my mom, and she's just not working. You know, that, you know that the first one not only was hugely financially successful, mm-hmm. it was nominated for an Oscar for the imagine. screenplay or for the writing. Because it's it's unique. For her it's, writing, though. Right. It's inspi- I, I feel like that first one could be inspired. <sighs> a really, a really inspired story for how true it's coming to her experiences and in life and her family and whatnot here it's just man uh i i felt the rinse repeat without even knowing what they were rinse and repeating basically so uh, <laughs> it was a tv series too by the way oh really after the first one came out it's called uh, my my big fat greek life does that ring any bells uh, she co-wrote it as well interesting okay i didn't catch that Talking about milking it, Jesus. <laughs> well i mean i kind of don't blame her well, it made that much money, right? And it's what you do, uh, and it's and it's her baby. But um, man, yeah, too much, too much. The cow's <laughs> the cow's dead. <laughs> Tom, this is without a doubt one of the worst movies I saw all year. Um, you know, this is up there with Magic Mike three, uh, yeah, Nefarious. right? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> I tried to get that out of my mind. Uh, I strongly feel that this three part juggling act for Nia was a poison pill for the movie and sucks for something that is so clearly a personal project i really feel sad by this one (laughs) you know i i I feel sad in a way that like even not knowing nia is just like oh i'm I'm sorry it was so bad it was really bad though in no way did i feel it necessary to watch the first two but like i said i almost wanted to just give that first film a shot just had a better chance of my hanging opinion but for this third bfgw though uh it is a hard pass and a steer clear folks uh we are gonna go ahead and give my big fat greek wedding three and 18 yo yes 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 (laughs) 
I can't. I thank God. I'm so happy we got low scores coming in like this. <laughs> I want it's low, low scores. Well, last year we had like that bad superhero movie, uh, like oh, episodes. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, right, so now right. we get like four, or five terrible scores. <laughs> yeah, we had Eight, Samaritan too. Eighteen, just a good old natural eighteen uh, yeah. percent. And, and and a good case example. Boy, of Matt, where... Matt D is. I can hear the. I can hear the keyboard typing already. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> That's going to be the comparison. Flash and, and my big awesome. factory wedding three. <laughs> I'm sorry you suffered through it. Uh, honestly, it was so bad, it was easy. Yeah. Because I was like, ugh. It, in a way, it was a <laughs> sigh because it was like, fuck, I'm going to have to really work now. Like, I have to prove right, why right. this movie's bad. But it proved it on its own. Yeah. I, I would put that movie in front of anyone and say, tell me this is good. So did you, what was the feeling of going back, listening to the soundtrack and writing the notes for the film? <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the advertising spin. This has a lot of licensed Greek music, which mm-hmm. uh, obviously authentic. You know, they are going to Greece. Yeah, like, maybe it was just for the vacation for her. Right? Maybe Throw, it's an Adam the Sandler place. Move. Right? The Adam's exactly. Yeah. Which we talked about that last week with uh, oh, uh, e- Equalizer Three. <laughs> Right. Denzel, Rome, two months, let's go, uh, huh? I'm telling you, tax breaks. Another one in you? Everyone needs, everyone needs these tax breaks. They need to go okay, international. Boy. So. 18% on my Greek, my big fat Greek wedding three. Okay. <laughs> uh, one last thing. Lovely. Is, uh, yeah. In just the same way that I, I find kind of cases for certain scores, uh, Equalizer 1 being a 48, I just I, I, I yeah. felt it in my bones. Yep. And this one, why it's sub twenties is that we really have like significant structural 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 failures in the movie itself. Like the skeleton of the movie doesn't work, the the comedy doesn't work, the editing doesn't work. Like it's is bad. Man, I freaking love it. I love it. It Almost (laughs) makes me want to watch it. Honestly, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Eighteen percent. Okay, Vin. All right. Well, I mean that right there is all said there, folks. So we'll move on here. This is, let's just move on again. Another week, uh, another horror film. <laughs> He's so sick of it's it. Number one at the box <laughs> office. So and did quite well over the weekend, like uh, overseas for how many oh, really? limited theaters it was in. Uh, Interesting. Look, this is The Nun 2. Like I said, it's, it's it knocked off the equalizer. It's number one at the box office. Barbie is finally number five five <laughs> slot. How is that possible? Yeah. So the Nun two. Let's just get into a little bit. Set the film up for us. Sure. And um, how was it? Uh, well. The Nun franchise spawned as a spinoff of the Conjuring series, uh, folks, uh, which we discussed during our Insidious episode alongside my favorite punching bag, director James Wan. Of course. Uh, We'll come back with James Wan uh, one last time this year, maybe more. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) As long as we don't have to deal with Patrick Wilson. We'll be all right. Oh, boy, yeah. We'll survive. Check check the end credits, uh, post-credits scene on this goddamn horror movie uh, that has a post-credits with Patrick Wilson. So Are you serious? You yeah, yeah. Oh, Spoiler geez. alert. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about giving that one away for Wilson. Uh, we'll return one more time with Juan, hopefully not more, but for Aquaman before the year is done. Mm. Oh. Apparently, DC uh, completely uh, abandoning marketing for Aquaman 2. So. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Honestly. Uh, I personally haven't seen any of the films in the CCU, Conjuring Cinematic Universe. I don't know if they talk <laughs> about it like that, but uh, not a single one, folks. Uh, not the Annabelle Creepy Doll spinoffs, uh, not the La Llorona movie, and definitely not the first none. Michael Shaves is our director here, helming the last three mov- uh, movies in this franchise Uh, and while I could have done a series deep dive to catch all the shout outs in this film and 
uh, and see all the connective tissue of the evil of this uh, sure, universe, sure. Um, I really just did not want to bother. Uh, like I said in our last episode, I'm going to pull back, and in and, and, and the beginning of this episode, I'm going to pull back on some of the watching this back catalog for franchises because uh, it's crushing my soul. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Well, I know that. Sometimes, uh, like you said, I think going forward, when, when it's felt that it's necessary, yeah. yes. Cinematically Otherwise, necessary. That could be story, that could be continuity, you know, things like that. And oftentimes, people aren't going to go back and watch the old stuff. Sometimes yeah. people just walk in and just go go into it for what it is. I think that's absolutely the case for these uh, you know? these horror movies. It's it's a date movie, you know. It's it's you, right. Let's going, go get spooked. Let's yeah, go get spooked. I mean, exactly. sure, you do have a bit of an insidious cult, the cult conjuring cult, a little bit, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But the homework isn't always going to be necessary. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. In the Nun Two, we follow nuns in a nun school, haunted by the nun, who is a spectral nightmare demon who preys upon nuns. Uh, all right, I'll try better than that. I'll try better. <laughs> we pick up again with Sister Irene, played by uh, Tasia Farminga. Sorry, Tasia. Maybe maybe we could try with a, a different stage name. Uh, Farminga. I don't know. <laughs> a semi recently recovering from her run in with the demon nun Valak, played by Bonnie Aaron's. Um, my quick note with Bonnie Aaron's is that certainly. Uh, I love kind of studying iconic horror monsters and the um, the actors that fill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, interesting stuff on Freddy Krueger and, and, and stuff like that. You know, the actors behind the monster. I'll give her some credit, but I feel like um, she's kind of snubbed in her own movie of, of being the monster a little bit. So uh, if anything, kind of wanted to see more Bonnie. Because uh, she's she's got some interesting horror aesthetics, you know, and how bony her face is mm, okay. and how imposing her silhouette is. Okay, uh, Sister Irene is uh, taking on a new sister under her ring, uh, wing, uh, who is having a bit of a crisis of faith, and uh, both embark on a journey to see what is causing a string of grisly murders, folks. Uh, it is just a very plain movie. The setup of the horror gives us a simple plot that puts our main character in investigation mode, only for them to return to trouble back home while they're away. I want to say that this is slightly better than Pope's Exorcist, simply because it doesn't try to do comedy, among all things. <laughs> uh, and we don't have Chubb Russell Crowe right, uh, right. Uh, giving a very bad Italian accent. But, <laughs> but the package was just so bland and so predictable, I wondered... Which film, honestly, will age better? I think, if anything, Pope's Exorcist might age better just because it has more character to it. Wow. That's quite shocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is seriously boilerplate stuff, though, as far as the script. What little story is built on in the first film, nothing significant is added to it here. We have one returning character... Uh, we have a little bit of a implied history, obviously, with where her dealings with Valak as this demon nun comes from. It's just I, I feel like even even for fans, this was not this wasn't even meant for fans. This was just like, yep, we got to pump out another horse slot. Wow, okay. And, and James Wan being an absolute machine behind the scenes. So <sighs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. He's kind of like in production role now. Yeah, he's just, not, he's not doesn't have his fingers in in writing or anything like uh, that. I don't I don't think writing. Uh, okay. It's just production, but in the sense that he's a series creator. Right. Yeah. Much like the Saw franchise, uh, Wan steps away from it, but always has a play behind the scenes. Okay. So. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, what am I saying? Of course we'll return with Saw 10 is coming out. Oh, my God. I'm realizing it right now. Uh, <laughs> we get some interesting atmospheric horror from time to time. Old churches and French streets give 
the film uh, more character, honestly, than it deserves. <laughs> uh, spaces are able to transform due to the delusions and visions the nun creates. This lets some scenes become a bit surreal, which I was excited to see. There's a pretty cool scene where there's this magazine newsstand that all the magazines flip into the silhouette of the nun. Hmm. Um, that's really the main score, uh, scare mechanism of uh, you know the nun just showing the silhouette and then jump scare, of course. And I would love to extend the praise, honestly, beyond that. But unfortunately, so little is done with the actual setting, both in France and also the time period. That, um, yeah, I, I mean, I wish there was more. I, I wish there was more maybe done with some accents or some dialect. Uh, people talk like modern day, which kind of took me out of the we're setting. Set in, I'm sorry, we're set in what time period again? I think it's like 1953. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I wish there was more, but there's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's uh, heavy lifting for the horror uh, that is... Ultimately, just jump scares. The movie style of jump scare is something that I like to call the hello <laughs> reveal. <laughs> or in other acceptable names is the who's there horror. <laughs> um, the scene sets up a creepy shot. Characters call out some beckoning to the scare itself. And only when the tension settles do we get the jump scare. Per preference aside, folks, I just wish we got some more variety in the film because every scare boils down to this. Like I said, the nun's a cool design. Uh, she's got this like triangle thing on her. I feel like a lot of cool surreal horror could have been done with it uh, in her stalking. And yes, she appears in the background of some shots, a la Insidious. Mm. It's just like so everything just boils down to character beckons the scare, tension settles, gets the scare. That is cookie the cutter. Yeah. Is this is this just classic conjuring cookie cutter? The in thing the conjuring is, universe? those conjuring movies, uh, the big difference is that they're rated R. These ins the insidious ah. movies that bring PG thirteen. So I'm hoping that and there's maybe more for the Conjuring to. Don't forget the nun. Well, this is rated R. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Oh, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping in the better movies of the franchise. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> that there would be more to love, but uh, I don't know. Will Will should be it, damned. It just, yeah. Very very cookie cutter and uh, very unimaginative. Yeah. Exactly. And it would be nice that these just these horror guys, these James Wands or the blue the Blums, mm. right? It. Let's try to reimagine yourselves yeah. a little bit. Let's come back and try to do something new, do something fresh. Yep. But the problem is, it they seem because they're so cheap to make, mm -hmm. they are going to continue to pump out and pump out and pump out. Exactly. As and who could argue make... with the business of it? Right. Exactly. And what's crazy is there is a cult following. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why. You know, even though the box office this this week, the past weekend wasn't electric. You know, this mm -hmm. still made over thirty million dollars yeah. for yeah. opening weekend. Absolutely. Which for a low budget horror film, it's like. That's all they need. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, I mean, I, I don't want to hate on it too much just because they're, I don't know. I, I don't think there, there was an expectation that this was going to rise as cream to the cream of the crop, right. you know, for anyone, uh, anyone, whether <laughs> it's, you know, 2023 being a standout year for horror uh, or the Conjuring Cinematic Universe. I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. I think most of all where I was disappointing is that the movie holds back a lot of kills, which was extremely disappointing to me, if anything, on the back, Tom, of this rated R rating. Sure. Um, Valak, uh, you know, this demon nun. Also, Valak is going to be my next D&D &D character, it's probably. Cool it's a very cool <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, that's a great name. You know, she might be intimidating on screen. Like I say, I like the aesthetics of it. I think um, in the right hands, it could be 
really, really cool. Maybe even take it in like a cosmic direction. But there is just little follow through on making us feel the fear. The nun herself, I didn't find to be scary. And yeah, it's a good silhouette to recognize in the background. But on screen is hardly more than clown makeup. Kind of like this clown of a movie. We're going to go ahead and give the nun 2 a 34. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a good bad week we have here. <laughs> yeah, this good is, and bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this the is fantastic. The heights of a must watch and then the lows of an 18. Well, I mean, they're your new movies, folks. They're on 18 <laughs> and 34. Pretty weak showing as far yeah. as the theaters go. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's my opinions on why maybe none is top. It was a, it was a rough week, you know. The right, dust is right. settling from the summer and this is all they It have. makes sense. September releases are usually pretty rough. That's yeah. what I'm finding. But going back in history even, mm. same deal. Um, okay, Vin. All right. Wow. Looking at some of these scores, is there anything you want to touch on, add, or you want to roll credits? Where are we at? Uh, we got our big hundy next week. We got our big hundy next week. We're watching Major League. Yes, I cannot wait. Yeah. Uh, we'll continue with Apatow, folks. If you want to pay attention, it's going to be, or, or watch along, rather, it's going to be knocked up. Uh, and other than that, uh, thanks for the producers this episode. Uh, I love yeah. the notes. Thank you both so much for for listening and, and caring about what I say. <laughs> uh, absolutely, and I'll just buttress that again to the producers. We thank you. We thank you so much. We're excited for the next week. Is going to be a, a bit of a normal episode. It's hilarious the movies that we're going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. like what a weird array of films are we going to do? Yeah. And we'll have some good dialogue of where we come and everything like that. The past one hundred episodes. Um, so we're excited about that, folks. I have one note real quick. Mm. I know we're running long here. Ah, do it. And please tell me if I said this. Like, I can't remember if I made a note of this and said this before. Okay. okay. There is a film I've been meaning to watch again. Okay. I know reviews about it, and mm-hmm. I just be like, you know what? I should watch this again. Mm. And boy, I wasn't hot on this film. You were not hot on this oh, film okay. the first time we both watched this. Okay. I saw it after you. I didn't give it a two shoes or anything like that. Yep. I got to be honest with you. <clears throat> I really, really like Maverick. Oh, Top Gun Maverick. Really? Yeah. I, wa- I, watched, I watched it again and I was like, whoa, I, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> I first watched it, I was very much on your side. Right. I thought maybe you were, I, like, I probably would have gave it if I was doing percentages 4% mm. higher than you gave it. Sure, sure. Or maybe 5% or something like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy off Knocking from you. Knocking it in the 70s. Man, I watched, and then people are like, people keep on talking about it, and Quentin Tarantino loves it, and Louis C.K. loves it. <laughs> And I'm just like, all right, Quentin Tarantino loves it. Let's sit down and watch it again. I freaking also, loved it. Also, two kind of semi-dubious people. <laughs> <laughs> watched it again, and I was like, hot damn, this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Honestly, I think it, it, well, I mean, we did give it the Tom Daly for uh, for special effects. Did it get the Tom Daly? I think so. For practical effects. Yeah, for practical. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. But when it comes down to it. I think I was just so sour on the tone of, of the cruise. film. To- yeah. Tone of the cruise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a sad cruise. Right. But that does kind of, that's that's a preference thing. Maybe in the right mindset going into it fresh, you know, who Definitely. Knows? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, so. it still is cookie cutter in a lot of ways, but <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Thank you so much for uh, watching these films. Yeah. Good, good and bad sitting down with us here this week. <laughs> it was a good week though. Yeah. It was a really good time. I'm excited for next week on our Hundy episode, on our Hundy episode. Again, thanks to our producers this episode. If you want to be a producer, go to the Daily ratings.com if you could head to the donations tab and hey be producer just like matt and brandon this episode we thank you all so much and we'll see you next week on the daily ratings podcast hey if you enjoyed the podcast if you would could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us 
If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings for Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you see from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, over the years, but we also want to be independent from all those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.